Welcome back to the Success 101 Podcast. This is your host, Jared Warren, and I'm thrilled to bring BJ Hellyer onto the show today. I've known BJ for quite a while now, and he is from the great northern state of Minnesota near the St. Paul area. BJ is the chief development officer of one of the highest ranking financial firms in the U.S., and it's had a great 20-year career there with them. And we had a chance to catch up a while back, and I wanted to bring his message to you today around mental toughness training and organizing your day around your priorities so that we can be the best versions of ourselves at all times and strive for peak performance. BJ's done a lot of training in this area from being a former collegiate athlete at Drake where he played free safety and learned what hard work and training was all about and then was able to take that over into the corporate world where he has excelled through these mental toughness principles that you're going to hear more about today. Hey, good afternoon, BJ, and welcome to the show. How are things way up there in Minnesota? Uh, they are great. I'm excited to be here and pay it forward. That's great. And I know you and I have known each other for several years now. What I loved about you and the message that you bring is just deep vision, really mapping out your future with intentionality. And I knew I had to get you on. And so I'm grateful for the listeners to get to hear from you today. And I'll just sit back and you know take a back seat here and take some notes as you talk about your tools each day you use for mental toughness and the strategies you use in a highly active role that you're in. Well, I, I think, you know, one of the things, you know, as you think about deep vision and you think about uh, mental toughness or strategy, I think a lot of it is just how you design your day. And I, I think one of the things that, you know, we continue to talk about at our firm and one of the things that, that I try to model is the concept of breaking your day into three different stalls. And the best analogy is probably like a three-stall garage where most people's third stall is full of junk and not organized. And if you're not careful, you know, your day ends up like that. And so one of the things that I try to do is from the time I wake up in the morning at 4.45 till 7 a.m. in my first meeting, I try to lead myself and take care of myself mentally, spiritually, emotionally, and certainly physically uh, 250 times a year. It's the number of workouts that I track. And then from 7 a.m. until, you know, 5, 5.30 p.m. is really, you know, what I do for a living and growing principle-centered leaders and taking care of other people. And I've just found that if I took care of myself first, that I was able to lead others more effectively and have energy throughout the day. And then stall three is really from the time, from dinner time until the time I get home. And what I found is if I didn't take care of myself first and then lead other people and be efficient and effective during my day, that I took it out, you know, on the people that I love and really the reason why I do what I do. And it made my third stall of my day or the third stall garage junky, clunky, et cetera. And so um, I, I read that in Curtis Estes's book, Your Life by Design, and it just really resonated with me. And I've really just tried to set up my environment that way for the last six, seven years, and uh, it's been a game changer. So, BJ, let me unpack this a little bit for the listeners who are out there driving around in their cars or listening on their earpieces or whatever they're doing. If you guys can picture this garage, it's a three-stall garage. So the first stall you were describing is from what time to what time? 4.45 in the morning till 7 a.m. So before basically your workday starts, and what does that signify to you, the stall number one? Well, that just that signifies me leading myself. And so in that time, it's you know, 30 to 40 minutes of physical exercise where I will listen to some sort of sermon or something of spiritual growth. I will read something, you know, to put good stories mentally in my head. You know, I will eat. 
Uh, I will call or text friends. And so I'm really encapsulating all four energies uh, of physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual uh, before I've even begun my workday. So that's stall number one, where you're taking care of yourself first. Because as you said, if you're not taking care of yourself first, you're not going to be prepared for the day. And then we move over to stall number two. Give me the time frame that you're looking at there and what that signifies. That's 7 a.m. to 5, 5.30 p.m. And that's me leading others. And that's just doing you know the job that I'm stewarding and entrusted to grow other people and uh, bring other people into this career and get them up to speed. And then we've got the third stall, which is basically, if I heard you correctly, that's the that's the go-home stall where you're really putting your best foot forward where it counts. But unless we've got yourself fixed early in the morning and then giving of yourself to others in a way that you know, you're highly active and you're pouring out with what you do each day, you're pouring yourself out to them, then we've still got to be able to be energized when we go home or we're not going to be the best version of ourselves there. Explain stall number three. Well, I, did, I mean, what, what I've learned about myself is that if I don't take care of me and I don't take care of others, I'm, I'm distracted. And then when I get home, you know, the, my family is really the reason why I do what I do. And frankly, the reason why most people do what they do is they don't typically do it for themselves. They do it to provide and care for other people because they love them. And what I've just found about myself is that I'm irritable, I'm inefficient, I'm still checking my phone, I'm still doing other things and very distracted, not present for the people that I love. And it's just ironic that if I would have just done what I should do and take care of me and take care of others, I was more present, I was a better dad, I was a better spouse, I was a better listener, and I was just more fully engaged in really the reason why I do what I do. So I know in your role there at your financial firm, you've got a packed schedule and you're in meetings constantly. You're seeing people. You've got FaceTime with people. You're being stretched and you're being pulled in different directions. What advice can you give for someone who has an active schedule, maybe in a similar or different role than you that is saying, hey, I'm, you know, I'm spent at the end of the day. Once I give, you know, once I take care of myself in the morning or maybe they're not even hitting that point, that important point, but they take care of themselves in the morning and then they're just giving, giving, giving all day long. Some people are just absolutely spent whenever they get home and they're not being the best versions of themselves. Are there any mental toughness or just uh, just tips that you can recommend for someone who's highly active? Well, I, you know, I don't, I don't know if I have any strategies per se, but I know that the two tactics that I try to implement, you know, every day that really gives me peace uh, when I'm at home is number one is I don't make any decisions after three o'clock in the afternoon because I'm tired or I'm irritable. And, and what I've found is I have to unwind a majority of them either later that night after I've had more time to think about it or the next day. And and that just doesn't feel very good. And then the second one is just with so many moving pieces and trying to communicate with so many people on an ongoing basis. And the discussions we're in three, four, five, six different people need to know is to adopt the philosophy of no negative information via email or via text. So context is not lost And I guess what I've learned about that is really the mental toughness strategy of that is just to control what I can control. And I can't really worry about what anybody else does. And so I've learned I could upset a lot of people by just trying to get a few things off of my plate in the spirit of trying to be efficient. And really, I was ineffective with other people. And I've had to learn that the hard way. 
I know you're really big on uh, on discipline. That's something you and I have talked about quite a bit. What does discipline in not only in the workday but also at home mean to you? I know you threw out some things there as far as not making decisions after 3 p.m., not staying on your phone. You know, if you're if you're not great at doing the things that we're talking about, you're going to stay on your phone. You're going to be distracted. Talk to us a little bit about discipline and what that means for you each day as you're building that perfect schedule or that routine that you want to be in each day. Well, it's a, I mean, as most people know, it's a total work in process. And, you know, I certainly don't have all the answers. What, what I think I probably do fairly well is I manage priorities fairly well. And so, you know, I know what's important from 445 to 7, and I don't really deviate from my routine. And I know what's important between 7 and 530, and that is leadership development and human development. And from 530 on, there's nothing more important than my wife and, you know, our three kids and their activities. And so I just, you know, I, there's nothing really that goes into those times other than those things. And, you know, I've been blessed to do it long enough that I've set up my environment to where other people don't call me during pre 7 a.m. or they don't call me post 5.30 p.m. Uh, unless they're friends or family because they know what my schedule looks like. So it's just setting in intentional habits then to where you've got some fences around you during the day. And I've, I find that I've been very weak at that over my career. Um, you know, I, I feel pulled into wanting to do more, even though I know I shouldn't be. And it's just being more disciplined. I think you do a great job of that. And I know you're big on energy management. And without stealing any of your wisdom there, tell us about your energy management tactics and strategies that you use and also in your time blocks. I know you're pretty intentional about the 7 to 9 and the 10 to 12 time blocks that we've talked about. What are you doing to conserve energy each day and just maximize your productivity? I was blessed to go to the Human Performance Institute, you know, in Orlando and went through the corporate athlete class, which I would highly recommend. It was really terrific. And it was built on Jim Lair's principles and books of storytelling, as well as the power of full engagement and really the whole concept of being a corporate athlete is energy management. And what what I learned the most coming out of that class is also in mental toughness training is, you know, when are you at your best and when are you not at your best and to do your highest productivity activities when you're at your best and, you know, to not do really important or highly strategic things when you're weaker mentally and your days ebb and flow based on when you eat, Eating something, you know, prior to a big meeting or drinking a lot of water, you know, sleep certainly affects brain function. So I try to make all my decisions and have all my key appointments before noon just because I'm, I'm a lot tougher. Now, that's an ideal world. And this doesn't always happen. But, you know, I have great boundaries with my wife runs all the calendar at home, as you mentioned. So it's easier to just be priority or have my priorities in order there. And I have a terrific executive assistant right hand that, you know, understands my schedule, understands when I'm great. And so I have people around me that put me in my strength zone, you know, a greater percentage of the time, which certainly increases my odds of being effective. So you've been in your role now for about 20 years at your financial company. And I know before that you were playing at 
Drake, and I think you were actually free safety there. Tell us back then, I'm sure that when you're a collegiate athlete, that takes mental toughness, I would think, to a totally different level than even the corporate world. And, and then there's different things in the corporate world that are different than athletics that you have to adapt to. Tell us about some lessons that you learned in the world of athletics that you can now take over into the corporate environment that you're in now. The two or three things um, that, that I think have been really helpful that I didn't really know I was learning and that the, when the coach shared it, you kind of roll your eyes on some things. But it's amazing how you continue to emulate those things today. And the first one is one of my college football coaches said, you're never as good or as bad as you think you are. So you are never as good or as bad as you think you are. And that's just such a great lesson in humility is when things are going really well, you know, it's not really, you're not really that good. Or you did a lot of things in the past that led you to be successful today. So most of the time you didn't just turn it on today. Um, And when things are going really terribly or it feels like nothing's going right, you're probably fundamentally and principally really pretty sound. And it's just a season or a day you got to get through. And so, I I mean, I continue to talk about that. We talk about that with our firm a lot. And then the second piece is really around preparation and really around controlling and trusting the process. And so one of the things I took great pride in, you know, as a player, even today as a student of the game, is to, you know, continue to trust my inputs, to design my environment to where I'm putting the right things in my head that I'm learning the right things, you know, talking to the right people, surrounding myself with the right people, reading the right books and trusting my values and letting the result be what the result will be. And it's tough in a highly competitive, highly regulated environment to just trust the process. And at the same time, it's the only thing I've been able to put my head on the pillow at night, knowing that I did my absolute best, that I operated with values, I operated with integrity And, you know, the rest, you know, is up to the man upstairs. So as a collegiate athlete or former collegiate athlete, obviously working out is a big deal. That's why you mentioned the the physical component. You also mentioned the mental component, the spiritual component. I'd love to get an insight of what you're doing on things like rest, sleep, you know, active rest during the day, sleep at night, nutrition, like you said, drinking water. There's just so many things people are not doing out there each day that are simple things, but they're getting run down. They're getting burnout. They're getting in these just ruts that they can't get out of. And so you just keep getting weighed down with stress and fatigue and, you know, whatever. What are some things that you're doing to stay sharp each day on those areas of of eating the right way, moving, sleeping? I know you said you're tracking your workouts even. Give us just an insight to your overall physical health, maybe that includes all of that, and then we'll break out into the other ones. From corporate athlete, the things that they talked about probably the most that affect brain function were hydration and sleep. And so I'm real disciplined about sleep. Uh, I go to bed at 10 o'clock at night and I wake up at 445, uh, five days a week. Y'all sleep in on the weekends. The kids will come wake us up, uh, which will be fun. Um, And then I try to I try to have a bottle of water in every meeting that I'm in. And, you know, I try to be real conscious that every couple hours, you know, I, I get a chance to walk around the office a little bit. And before I go into a a bigger call or into a bigger meeting or into a longer meeting, I will try to take a power bar or something else with me because I know that if I get hungry, I'm not nearly as effective and I lose concentration and uh, I'm just 
it's it's not it's not good. So as I mentioned earlier, your calendar is extremely busy. You're getting stretched in different directions each day, a lot of FaceTime in front of people. So eating right, little small things like taking an energy bar, power bar in there with you so that your, you know, that your hunger doesn't take over and you get distracted, drinking a lot of water. Those things are great. Uh, what most people are doing out there is, number one, they're not doing those things. And so they're not feeling their best. But then also those things compound to allow stress to really just bear down. But then if you're not even taking care of yourself in other ways, as far as nutrition and water and those sort of things, it's going to make it even worse. How are you dealing with just the inherent stress that comes on? Because even if you're doing those things, there's still going to be some days where you, you know, you just feel it bearing down on you. What are you doing in those areas that make you a little above average as far as keeping up with an active day and staying at your best? Well, we do a lot of mental toughness training, you know, from Jim Lehrer's principles. And one of the biggest pieces that he talks about is stress isn't the event, it is your reaction to the event. And so, you know, when, when you're dealing with a lot of things, just so many things are out of your control and it's so complex. There's yeah, external environmental factors that there's absolutely nothing you can do anything about. And so this comes back to what can you control and what are your disciplines? What are your principles? What are your fundamentals? And, you know, what is your vision? What is your strategy? Where are you trying to go? And if external things happen, there's not a lot you can do about it. And so, you know, I rely on that principle as well as I rely on my faith. And so I truly believe that there's nothing that we're going to get that we can't handle. And whether or not we can't handle it today or not, or we're not equipped to handle it today, there isn't anything that's going to be thrown at us that over time with the right people at the right time for the right reason that we would not be able to get through. Back in 2011, believe it or not, I heard you say something that was so profound. I didn't even have kids at that time. I was married, had been married for, you know, for a few years. I was one year away from having our, our first daughter. Didn't realize that at the time. And you made a statement that was so profound to me. And the reason I know it was profound is the fact that I didn't have kids yet. I wasn't thinking like a parent. You know, I wasn't in that in that world yet. And yet your statement seared on my brain and, and still remember it today. I'll, I've said before, I think it's fascinating how we have millions of conversations over our lifetime. And there's certain things that just get seared into our brain. And we remember for, for what reason? You know, we don't know. But it's obviously you know, our brain registers it as something very profound. And I remembered it even today. And I'm not going to steal it from you. I'd love to hear it from you in case maybe I missed some of it back then. But you were talking about your why. And you were talking about, you know, nobody was home one night. And you were sitting there on the couch. And you just started asking yourself why over and over. Can you take us through that and what your, your thought was? Yeah, a little backdrop on that is... Several days before I was, I had just hit my 35th birthday and I was in the hospital with kidney stones. And based on diet, I was 235 pounds, overweight, poor energy, and really adopted the philosophy that I was going to be fine. And I was a former college athlete and that I could just turn it on. And a great buddy of mine sent me Curtis Estes' book, Your Life by Design. And I was reading that book and I was going through outhouse and penthouse activities and what is my strength zone and what are my visions. And Curtis really made you walk through four or five different visions on what's your health vision, community vision, relational vision, spiritual vision. And it was just, it was it was a terrific exercise, uh, but where it started was on my health vision, 
And I think everybody intuitively knows that they should work out, but they really struggle with the why. And that was a point in my life where I was clearly struggling with it. And I was, I sat down and Curtis made you write out, you know, what do you want? You know, why do you want it? And how are you going to do it? And I just remember sitting there and what do I want? You know, I, I, I want to be 210 pounds and I want to be a picture of health until God calls me home. Why? 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 We'll skip it and go to how. And I'm going to work out four or five times a week. I'm going to do abs. I'm going to run. I'm going to do cardio. I'm going to do those things. And, and those, those things are easy and we all do those things. But why? 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 And, and as I sat there, it was so profound that I had a one-year-old at the time and, you know, as fortune would have it or not have it, my wife and I struggled to get pregnant. And so we had to go through the in vitro process. And I had a, uh, I had a one and a half year old and a one month old. I sat there and I sat there and I sat there and tears started streaming down my eyes. And I said, I want to walk my girls down the aisle. And that was my why. And I had no idea why I should be working out or why I would want to be working out other than I was just a former collegiate athlete. And when I wrote that down, I have literally worked out 20 times a month since September of 2009. And so I track them. Um, so I know, but, but I, I struggle with people saying it takes 21 days to build a habit. It takes 15 days to build a habit. It takes 360, whatever all the numbers are. I really struggle with that because when I got clear that working out was not about me and it was about being there for my wife, being there for my daughters who my dad had quadruple bypass surgery at age 49 and my dad's my hero in life. And I was 21 years old at the time and my sister was 17. And I just remember sitting there thinking in the ER with my mom, this is a terrible time to not have a dad. And my daughters, when I'm 49, will be 14 and 12. And that's equally as bad of a time to not have a dad. And so I just made a commitment to myself and my family at that point that I was going to do everything in my power to control what I could control to be the best version of myself. And if the plan is for me to not be here, then the plan is not for me to be here, but it's not going to be by my own behavior. It's going to be because that was God's plan. So, BJ, that was pretty profound, and the thing that I took away from it was I, I didn't remember all of those details. It, some of it's coming back to me now as far as you being in the hospital and all of that, and, uh, and it makes sense now because you're sitting there reflecting on your health, and then you start asking why. But I remember the thing that really stood out to me is that you said you, know, you were home alone, and for 45 minutes you sat there on the couch just asking yourself why, and that was the, that was the end result. And I think the lesson to be learned there is you're not going to be tracking 20 workouts a month diligently since 2009, I believe you said it was, if you didn't spend, as silly as it may sound, if you didn't spend 45 minutes of that blocked off time sitting there asking yourself why, if you stayed in busy mode and didn't stop and take a break and really diligently sit there in the quiet and ask yourself that over and over, you would not have made a decision, I don't think, that would have changed your life even to this day in 2016. And I think that's pretty profound. That's, that's such a lesson for all of us is how many times are we breaking away from the busyness? How many times are we slowing down and really focusing on just being in the moment, asking ourselves why we're doing what we're doing or why we're not doing what we should be doing, and then setting our life potentially on a path that 
changes it forever. Uh, you know, if you if you look at your story. Well, it was I mean, it was incredibly uncomfortable. I literally just sat there and looked at the page and I looked at the page and it was like, gosh, why should be so easy? Why should just be, geez, where is it? Where is it? And I guess what I've found is since then is I've been very patient with myself, very patient with the process on my why or my philosophies on anything that I do is that if I sit and I think about it long enough, the right thing always comes to me. If I take the time and set up my environment to just make sure that I do it. And so, you know, what came out of that is I spend a couple hours a week in strategic think time or strategy time and really plan my week, you know, rate my relationships, what's working, what's not working. And then one day a month, I spend a full day on strategies. Where are we at as a firm? Are we on track? Are we not on track? And it's interesting to think about today how much our firm has moved and how much we've gotten done, how much I've been able to prioritize based on that one small exercise in 2009 where I got clear on my why to work out and how that's bled into other aspects of my life. It's really, it's, it's pretty, pretty humbling. That's just so powerful. And I know that even as, you know, even as we say it, if you're not in the right mind frame to receive that, you know, if I'd heard that message probably even two years ago from somebody, I would have thought, okay, you know, that, that works out well for this BJ guy, you know, whatever. I don't know that if I go sit somewhere and have some think time that that's really going to change a whole lot for my life. But the point is, neither did you. I mean, you weren't seeking that. You weren't like, let me figure out the answer to change things in my life that are going to bleed over in my career and, and more importantly, help my family. But I think that's such a good lesson for us to learn is how many times, how often, and I talk about that a lot on these episodes is how many times are we just stopping and just being and not just jumping from task to task, jumping onto the next thing, almost like robots or zombies. And those times in silence and those times of just being still and quiet are going to make huge impacts on, on our life. And I think that's, that's just an awesome story. It even, it even has more life to it now than when, <laughs> than when you said it the first time. So I appreciate you sharing that with everybody. You know, can, I share, can I share one thing on that, Jared, real quick? Yeah. You know, one, one of the things that we talk about a lot are people coming to your life for a reason, you know, a season or sometimes a lifetime. And it's just interesting that you pick that up in 2011 without any kids. And one of the things I remember traveling with my family on spring break with two young girls and, you know, we had the strollers and we had the car seats and we had big bags. And at that time it was just the four of us. And it was 5.30 in the morning. And I remember a guy coming up to me in the airport who was just ahead of us. And he said, sir, can, can I help you pull the bags? And I said, yeah, absolutely. And I must have just had a beat down look on my face. You know, it's early. Not everything's going well. If you travel with young kids, you know how that goes. And he looked at me, and I will never forget this. And he said, can I give you a piece of advice? And I said, I said, absolutely you can. And he said, the days are long and the years are short. Enjoy this time. And I, and I, I still get a little bit emotional listening to it because that's another one of those. He just, you know, 
you know, life is great and you are exactly where you should be at the time with the people you should be with. And that's just been another awesome lesson on just be where your feet are because that's all that you can control as time goes. You know, now my kids are seven, five and three. They're no longer three and one. And it does go fast. I think it goes faster as they get older. And so I think about him a lot. I have no idea what his name is, but I can tell you exactly where I was in the Minneapolis airport when he shared it. And it had to be between 5.30, a.m. But it was at a time where clearly I needed to hear that. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and as you mentioned a few minutes ago, it's interesting that I remembered that as a younger guy. 2011, didn't have any kids. And now here I am. Fast forward to 2016. I've got three daughters under the age of three at home. So there was obviously a reason that I needed to hear what you had to say that day. So that's awesome. That's profound. BJ, tell us what the most difficult thing is or difficult time is that you've been through in life and how you handled it and how you got through it and what you learned from that. I think the most difficult time was a personal time. And, you know, a family is a core value of mine. You know, I grew up with awesome parents You know, I married a gal who has awesome parents and I had a close relationship with my sister. I still do. And, you know, when, when my wife and I got pregnant, we, we had the dream of being parents ourselves and having our own family. And as, uh, as fortune would have it or not have it, um, we weren't able to conceive, uh, naturally, you know, on our own and needed a lot of help. It was incredibly stressful on both of us. Um, We were in a smaller city at the time. There wasn't very good infertility clinics. My wife didn't see eye to eye with one of the two infertility specialists in the area. And we were really trying to work through what do we do? How do we do it? Is it going to work? Is it not going to work? And it, it was just so painful. You know, my, my wife and I, you know, sat down and said, hey, look, it's really important. How are we going to do this? What do we need to do? Uh, fortunately, it was my health problem, not her health problem. And so my commitment to her was I was just going to do what I could do and control what I could control. And so we went and saw a specialist and I needed to have surgery, um, which was basically, in essence, a reverse vasectomy. And... You know, it, it, so they, I had the surgery and they just said, you know, it's going to take the better part of nine to 12 months to actually work, you know, and in that time it was a big waiting game. It changed, but it didn't change amazing. And I mean, that was a painful time, you know, in our life, newly married, you know, Facebook isn't helpful. You know, everything shows up that somebody else is pregnant or somebody just had a baby or everybody's life is good. And it sure felt like ours was brutal. And it wasn't, but it felt like it, and it felt like we were on our own. And so we just buckled down, you know, ourselves, and we worried about what we could worry about. And, you know, we, we, as fortune would have it in that time, um, we were called to the Minneapolis area to do the job that I currently do. Um, and we were blessed to get up here to go through at the Center of Reproductive Medicine in downtown Minneapolis and 
And, and as fortune would have it, while we were able to conceive our first daughter, Josie, in December of 2008, you know, less than 12 months after we arrived in Minneapolis. And so it was incredibly stressful, but we just tried to worry about what we could worry about and control what we could control and have a lot of faith. And what has been cool about that process, Jared, is since that time, we have shepherded five or six people in the Minneapolis area uh, and Kansas City area because we live there for a spout. And we've shepherded five or six people through the in vitro process based on our own experience. And so clearly we were supposed to go through that, but it was very, very stressful. Wow, what an incredible story, BJ. And it's obvious to me just through that story, just through the other stories that you shared, you are incredibly clear on your values. And those times in life, as painful as they were, obviously shaped you into the man you are today, the father, the husband you are today, and the professional you are. And that's what presses you on forward to continue to drive forward these values and why you're so disciplined because you've just, you know, you've been through the fire. As cliche as that may sound, I think that gets thrown around a lot, but that is what shapes you into the person that you are today. And I, I would just want to ask, this is one of my favorite questions that I like to ask people from a professional level because it bleeds over into so much more of your life as well than just the work, work life. But if you had two sets of people in front of you right now, whether it's the young professional who is trying to figure out how to get growth in their life. And that could be personally, professionally, financially. They're just looking for the tools, not the easy button, but like actual tools that they can start working on and implementing. Or the executive that's been doing this for quite a while or the business professional that's been doing this for quite a while and feels like they've tried everything. They've hired coaches. They're just spent. They're tired. What are some bits of advice that you can give those two people around this whole idea of discipline, uh, daily routines, mental toughness training, any of these things that we've mentioned today that could help give them uh, maybe a new direction in life as far as how to get on the right path? For the new people, I believe it's all about the, the books you read and the people you surround yourself with, having great mentors, and really telling yourself the right stories. You know, Lair, Jim Lair wrote an awesome book on the power of story. And if, if anybody will read that book, it will change their life. And probably the greatest concept in there is the most important story you tell to yourself is the one you tell about yourself. And so can you grow? You know, are you good enough? You know, can you achieve at the highest levels? Can you play in this space? Can you achieve excellence? however it is you define it, whatever story you tell yourself is totally self-fulfilling. So that's what I would tell a young professional. For a veteran professional, in my observation of kind of being in between, you know, at almost 42, I'm almost equidistant between the 62-year-old almost retired and the 22-year-old right in the middle. So it's interesting you asked me that question. For the veteran executive where, where I've experienced veterans that have been the most engaged, they've had the best teams and they've surrounded themselves with useful energy and new thinking and new ideas that really helped continue to sharpen their acts. And today some of the millennials who are, you know, 34, 35 and younger have some great thinking 
you know, they just need the venue to share it and need to feel empowered to share it. And so if you're 50 plus from the people that I've seen that are continuing to flourish are surrounding themselves with great people, great teams, as well as new ideas and new energy. And that is great advice on both fronts there. And you're right. You're, you're kind of right in the middle there. So who better to give some wisdom and advice on that level than, than you? Thanks so much for sharing that. One thing that I know about you, BJ, is you're a guy that's really strong and really dedicated to his values. If there's one other piece of wisdom that you could impart here to our listeners, tell us about your values and how those drive your decisions. One of our philosophies is when your values are clear, decisions are easier. And so, as everyone knows, as you get older and you get wiser, life gets harder. But when you tend to stand by certain values or certain principles, it's really pretty easy to choose between do you watch the football game or do you spend time with your kids? Do you make the extra phone call to support somebody or do you go eat lunch? Um, And so very dumb analogies. And at the same time, one of the things we just try to impart, you know, in our own lives and live, but also teach other people is to continue to get clear on who they are, what they stand for, and continue to be consistent in their decisions as it relates to those values. And so I would think that that would be one area where we do live it, we do model it, we set up our day based on that and set up our environment based on that. And it's led to sustainable success over time, you know, as I define success. So many takeaways here today. I've just been taking notes the entire time that you've been talking. So again, thanks so much for your time. I know the listeners are going to get a lot out of this and uh, we'll have to have you back on at some point to talk through some more mental toughness training because I know that's stuff that we can't get enough of. All right. I look forward to it. Hope this was helpful to so many people. And uh, I appreciate our friendship, Jared. Thanks so much, BJ. Have a great week. Take care. So grateful I could bring BJ Hellyer and his message to the show today. And thanks so much to you guys for tuning in each week. And if you enjoyed today's show, go on over to iTunes and give it a five-star rating and even a review. That's what's going to keep this thing going on into the future. And thanks so much also for giving me new content. I always want to be relevant to you guys and bring content to the show that's going to help change your life for the better. And the best way to do that, if you have any great ideas to send my way, would be my email address, which is the success 101 podcast at gmail.com. You can also connect with me on social media on Facebook at facebook.com slash success 101 podcast and on Twitter at Warren Jared. Certainly appreciate your support and thanks again for tuning in. We'll see you on the next episode of the success 101 podcast. Until then.